the Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hi, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on the BBC Sounds app. This week, Dave Gillam is my guest, taking calls on everything from roses, plums and potatoes. We also have some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden. Plus, yes, that plant of the week. We go straight to your calls and this week we start with Keith from Rochford. Hello there, Ken. Um, yeah, I've got a problem with black spot on my roses. It seems to have spread probably down the road. Um, what I do at the moment is to take off the affected leaves. But is there anything more that I can do? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure a man from a garden centre will know the answer to that, don't you reckon? <laughs> yeah, there's loads. Um, you, you probably first sign if you pick the odd bits off, that, that's fine. We are getting later in the season now, and, and I always think with roses, no matter what you do, by towards the end of, of the year, they will still get a bit of black spot on them. Right. Um, but really, with black spot, it is a preventative thing, so we tend to suggest that you give them a spray um, with a fungicide at, at bud breaks or when the leaves first come out, and then again a few weeks later, and just then keep an eye. It's just about not starting with spores, but you can't really avoid it this time of year. They will be starting to get a, a bit of black spot. And, and the way to, I mean, what he's doing is the right thing, isn't that's it? That's it, yeah. And cleanliness is It's so only up to the point where you end up having to pick all the leaves off that it might be uh, better to spray it. But a lot of the nurseries this time of year, certainly towards the sort of end of June and July, they will just cut the plants back and just reflush new growth. And okay. then, is it worth spraying if you flush new growth? It Spray will be worth the spraying. new growth, and then at least you'll go into the, the autumn with a, a clean plant. Okay, lovely. Thank you. That helps you good. That's Keith from Rochford. Interestingly, I went to the rose trial grounds, and in fact, uh, it's interesting that they turf stuff out. If it gets rust or black spot really well, yeah. they oik the plants out and say, we don't want you in the trials. Because yeah. um, today, we've got to get cleaner Yes. Plants, yeah, well, they're we? trialling for the best, aren't yeah. they? So they, they want to see a resistance, mm. but unfortunately not all roses and some of the older roses are, oh. are quite prone to it. But, but you're seeing better roses all the time, oh, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, I mean, the, the new varieties now are, are, you know, mildew, black spot resistant, longer flowering, repeat flowering. Yeah. There's some really good sort of new varieties out there. We're off to Basildon, to Joyce, aren't we, Joyce? Oh, I hope so, yes. <laughs> what would you like to do? Well, we well my neighbour yeah. ordered online some U- Y-U-K-I-O rose seeds. You there? What? Y-U-K... What was the I- next I- bit? Y-U-K-I-O rose seeds. They're supposed to be special. Right. It got, got them through the, through the post, but no instructions or anything. So I've looked online... And it says you can sprinkle them in the ground or, or the soil. And um, they're perennials. Well, roses are. Nine weeks to germinate. So I don't know whether you can put them in the pot. He's got 50. Good. <laughs> they can't all be roses, proper roses, surely. It's, it does sound a bit peculiar. There are some very strange and wonderful things, not necessarily good things online. Um, well, that sounds like one of them, but. I, I, I will tell you this: when they come through the post, where it says 
a customs identification, it had rose earrings. <laughs> now, that made me think, now, are they a bit dodgy sending seeds <laughs> out to us or what? It's, it sounds a bit strange. I wouldn't, just for sort of uh, playing it safe, I, I would sow them in a pot and have, have a look, look at see. what comes yeah. up and if, if they come up and then take it from there. If you've got them in a pot, you're all in control. I wouldn't want to be putting seeds or something I don't know directly into the no, garden. Yeah, I mean, it, it's we, we've just done a little bit of uh, research and it looks like it's meant to be a, a blue rose, but... Blue rose, yeah, and it said, uh, well, that's a, it's supposed to be special, and, but it, I can't well, see it again. I think if, if they sow the seeds and it flowers blue like a picture that they tend to show, then I, I might sort of become Father Christmas, but um, the, those things do not exist yet, and uh, it's just a bit of a... A ruse online, I think you'll find. Reckon. Yeah, yeah. there is not a blue rose. <laughs> There's not not yet a pure blue rose, and not it? one that you then grow from seed either, because no. you get such a variant. So it's a bit of a bit of a ruse. Well, the way it said it, as if you can just lay them in the ground, <laughs> and off they go. Thought, I don't know. You well, can have fifty roses growing in. If, you know, it, your if it was that easy, then we'd probably be out of business. <laughs> Joyce. <laughs> Yes. Can you can you let us know how he gets on? How the neighbour gets on with them? Well, I've got problems. So. Oh, well, you let it keep us in touch, Joyce from Basildon, and see how you get on. Now, we go now to hello there. Uh, I can hear some. No, there's not someone there. Okay, thank you very much, Judith oh. from St Lawrence. Hello, oh, yes. Judith. Yeah, I thought you were talking to me. Actually, that last <laughs> caller reminds me of the tale I heard once about someone who brought some seedlings off of someone selling them at the door and they turned out to be dogs. <laughs> Reminded me of Jack and the Beanstalk. Anyway, but... <laughs> my question about, about pruning a cotoneaster hedge. Yeah. I understand cotoneaster is pretty hardy and if this was my own hedge I'd just take a chance with what I'd want to do. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not. It belongs to the garden of a lady. Um, well, I'm doing her garden for her. And... The thing is, it's overhanging a really a nice border of um, sort of uh, nice uh, perennial flowers and small shrubs. Lovely old-fashioned sort of garden it is. Yeah. And she wanted it cut back because it's she, so she can see these plants better. Obviously, it's not doing any good. And I pruned it a couple of times this summer. When I pruned it last week, I realised it's got quite top-heavy. It's about was about five foot tall and it was grown against the fence. I, I suspect the, pro, the top has been pruned so much, possibly by the neighbour with a, with a uh, mechanically, um, that it's just got too much top. It's all at the top. It, it would it, be it worse cutting. Want, it sort of wants shaping up, I think, so the base is wider than yeah. the top. But what I need to know, two things. Um, can I... It, does it hurt to, to hard prune a cotoneaster? Because it is an evergreen, no. isn't it? No. no, you should better do that. Yeah. No problem. So even if it goes well back into bare wood, it will, it will um, put some. I just wanted to make but sure. They, they usually do regrow from old wood. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're, mine, I just we're, we're being okay. fair and saying they usually do. There is no. a very slim, slim chance that it might not. But you're describing something that's also got some bottom growth as well, because you're saying it's top heavy. Oh yes, it has got some bottom growth. That's all right then. Definitely, you can take the head. Back yeah. then, can't you, yeah. Dave? It'll, it'll well, put it, the it making into more of a like an A shape with a wider base. I think if it's possible. The other thing is, can I? Is it possible? Can, can I do this in the winter? Because I, I know the recommendation is summer pruning, but two reasons I don't particularly want to do this. For one thing, because of the um, 
the flower border underneath because um, in a dormant season there's less risk of damage to the um, the plants I've just described underneath mm. it, obviously, and it's easier without them to climb through them. And also is the issue of in such a thick hedge of nesting birds in the summer. So can you prune it in the winter? Or I wouldn't have thought you'd have much nesting in there now. I think most of that's oh, no, been and um, done, but... Yes, you can prune them in the winter, can't you? You can, but I'd probably do it towards the end spring. of the winter, near a spring, so you don't get new yeah. growth coming when it's cold. So you just don't want to sort of encourage damage later. So that sorted you out with your catoniaster. You can get to that in the winter. We go to Alan from Hoddesdon. Hello, Alan. Uh, good morning, Ken and Dave. Um, just a quick one. I've just started cutting my broccoli heads. When I've cut the top one off, there's nothing else grown. Does that mean that the plant is uh, useless and pull it out, or is it <laughs> the other ones grow at the side? Broccoli? Yeah, broccoli is it, head I've cut off. So it's like the, cal- well, they call them calabres as well, so you yeah. get the main head in the middle, not like the purple sprouting. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I've found when you take that big one off, quite often they will throw they some do. little side shoots out from lower down, and you, you, it'll be nothing like the one that you took off. But There'll you'll be more like a little purple sprouting more like one. sprouting broccoli, and you'll have another little pick off of them. So it's worth leaving it if, you, you know, if you've got time and you don't need the space. Yeah, oh no, I don't need the space. I just wondered if it was a pull-out job or leave it and see what happens. No, I mean, if, if you're rotating crops, then you'd probably turf it out and pop in some, you know, short crops into there. But if you don't need the space, I've always generally found that you chop the top out and the side bits sort of do wake up and you get some smaller, you know, tips in those side shoots. Lovely. Thank you very much. Let's look at plant of the week. Giant cotton thistle, Scottish thistle, onopordum acanthium. Yes, they are fantastic. They can grow six to eight foot high, even higher, they've been recorded, four foot wide, huge grey leaves, milky down across the leaves, wicked spikes though, watch out if you've got small children, and massive candelabras of flowers, of course, looking like thistles. Great for nectar, and when they dry out, the seeds are great for the goldfinches particularly. It's a biennial plant and it came from Western Asia and the Iberian Peninsula. Uh, It's an easy one because what happens is that the flowers are produced, they're multi-sexed, so actually then the seeds then develop and they drop their seeds and they will seed normally in the autumn. You can collect the seed and do it yourself. Uh, They produce a sort of rosette, about six inches wide, a nice rosette and a huge root that goes down and down and down. Then the second year it produces that massive high growing plant, of course, with those self-pollinating flowers, which produce then the seeds that I've just mentioned that the birds love in the winter. So leave them on. Don't take them on. Out of interest... The plant can produce anything from 8,000 to 20,000 seeds. Um, The plant has been used medicinally for the treatment of ulcers and cancers that produce a sort of mucous membrane. They love fertile ground, free draining, no soggy spots at all. They're perfect for dry gardens, sunny gravel, and they, well, you sow in the spring for the following years I've just described in the natural form. So they are giant cotton thistle, Scottish thistle, onopordum, acanthium. Go on. 
Grow a bit more thistle in your garden. We're going to go to Rayleigh. Should we go to Rayleigh? Yeah, we'll go to Rayleigh and talk hydrangeas with Carol. Is that right, Carol? That's right. Good morning. Um, I've got two hydrangeas in pots on the patio, but they've all gone brown. The flowers were lovely about three weeks ago, but the flowers have gone brown and the leaves have all gone shriveled up and brown and keep dropping off. Yeah. Um, it, you know, they were fine about three weeks ago. Water them morning with a hose, but uh, they don't look too good at the moment. I don't yeah. know if they'll come back. Well, these are in containers, weren't they? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, generally, hydrangeas sort of fit along the same lines as someone with fair skin. Mm-hmm. They don't enjoy this hot and they don't enjoy the sun. And no. you That's can, why they're called hydrangeas. Yeah. <laughs> they like water. You can yeah. water them a lot, but, you know, if it, 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 they will scorch. And it sounds like they've either dried out a little bit, they've just got cooked and they've yeah. scorched. What sort of size pot are they in? Uh, really, fairly big. <laughs> What's that? Two foot or less? Um, a bit less than two foot. Too small. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, I wondered that. It's well. just that you know pots get hot, so that in the weather we've had, the, that yeah. pot would have almost been boiling the roots. You know, so the more volume you've got, the cooler it can stay. It won't, won't kill them, will it? No, it's just scorched them up a bit. They're, they're flush through. You probably do well just to sort of trim the tips out of it and. Get some new growth coming. Liquid feed it as the growth comes? Yeah, just a bit of the old seaweed tends to help, right. but they're not lost, they've just got a sunburn. Yeah, they do look a bit like that. I wonder, <laughs> I hope they're not lost because they were beautiful. No, they won't, shouldn't be lost at all. Any bigger pots, you're saying, really, maybe as well? Bigger pots, and if, if, if you can, although you're going to, if you put them in bigger pots, um, if we get these sort of weather and you can just drag them in into a little bit of shade or just out the, the worst of the sun, yeah. um, just on those really severe days. Yeah, yeah. OK, then. Right. Thank you for your help. That's a pleasure. That's Carol from Rayleigh. And we go to Mark from Grays. Hello, Mark. Hi there, guys. How are you? We're fine. What you got for us today? Uh, right. I'm struggling to get some or keep some uh, Edelweiss going during the hot weather. <laughs> yep. And uh, the plants are actually in Romania. And right. it's about 40 degrees out there at the moment on most days. The plants are in window boxes, which are then set into some wooden decking. So I wondered what I could do maybe to keep them going. It's the same problem. It's yeah, a similar problem, it's isn't it? It's just heat. But I mean, Edelweiss has got like a, a downy, silvery yeah. leaf to it. So, And they're generally, we'd sell them as an alpine. So they should be... They're quite be... tolerant of that sort of condition, yeah. aren't they? Well, that's um, what I was told, yeah. That's why I'm quite surprised that um, mm. they've been affected in this way. It's not... I mean, it, when they're isolated in tubs and things in that sort of heat, is there any chance that they're really drying out? Um, we're watering them every evening, mm. um, but we were told not to overwater them, to, to put them into, um, like, a, a sandy type of soil, so yeah. it's got good drainage, etc., which we've done. Um, so yeah. we're a little bit scared to, to overwater them, particularly <laughs> in the daytime, in, in case that... Um, has a detrimental effect on them. It, it is a very fine line, especially with these sort of heats. But um, I think it is just, as you say, you know, 40 degrees is extreme, extreme conditions for any just plant. Just try and shade them, really, yeah, isn't it? maybe a bit Can of you shade. shade them at all? Um, it's, yeah, it, it could be done, I suppose. We could just put something in the way of them. Um, I mean, alpines are used to, if you imagine where they normally are, they're hanging out of rocks or, you know, exactly. up mountains. But... They're, yeah. they're used to sun and they're used to dryness and free draining and so on, but they're probably not normally going to get cooked. They're not going to get those sort of temperatures because they're up mountains, they're up in the air a bit. Um, yeah. 
So it is probably just extreme, and you're probably getting a lot of heat reflection or absorption Off. from the decking around as well. Yeah, very true. Um, so, so that's where your heat's coming from, and that's one of the problems that we get, which we've talked about containers. It's the same problem. Yes. Right. Does that make sense to you? It does make a lot of sense, yeah. So we see what we can do about bit getting of, some shade over bit of shade on yep. the over. A bit of shade will help. On the extreme. Okay, Mark? Brilliant. Yeah, lovely. Thank you very much. That's a pleasure. There's Mark with an interesting question there. And we go now to Wendy from Colchester. Hello, Wendy. Hello. Nice to speak to you. <laughs> I've got problems. Well, not problems. I had it the same last year with mini cucumbers. I love them. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've normally grown them outside in the garden in a plastic greenhouse thing. But this year I took them into the conservatory and I've had them on a framework growing up. But in both cases, what's always happened is at the bottom, when the cucumbers start to form with the little flowers on the end and everything, the ones at the bottom all seem to die off. We yeah. had about four off of the other month. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, we've got a couple more healthy-looking shoots at the top. I've got now about seven or eight growing at the top. But why is it they're dying all the way down? The leaves go brown and yellow and everything. My, mine did the same, and I, I, I sort of expected... I had two off when it was only about two foot tall, and, and then the bottom two off. And then it deteriorates. Yeah, and there's loads of fruit trying to set at the same time as, as you have this sort of growth spurt, and they will only set so many fruits, uh, oh. cucumbers, at a time. So really, if you're um, seeing them and they're starting to swell, try to pick what, them almost... Thin them. Thin or, them or pick them, rotate. Don't wait for four of them to get to full size as what you want. Them. Have a couple off, and then another yeah. one off, and do that, and you'll find that the ones further up will then start to swell rather than they sit there go, I can't because I've got this amount of fruit already. Oh, they right. then sort of expire. Then you get another flush later on because the plant's not feeding so many. Mm. Oh, so right. It's just what they do, but regular picking yeah. and, and not holding on for that last bit um, yeah. will help. Now, you had another question on roses, did you, Wendy? Yeah, just small one um i've got a well the roses were fantastic this year weren't they but i've got one called mum in a million i've had mm -hmm. it a couple of years now um which was full of huge broods but the only thing is apart from the fact that i feel i'm growing a tree i mean there seems to be branches everywhere which obviously i've got to prawn, prune but a lot of them have also got quite thick and thorny yeah. now should those thick and why do they go thorny i mean it wasn't thorny when i first had it <laughs> But presumably you, I cut out the thick, thorny ones anyway. It'd be worth tipping them out. out. You do get new growth sometimes on these, and as long as it's not coming from below the graft, from where the, the union is, mm. um, I had it with a shrub rose, and it threw this really powerful stem. I left it, and it ended up flowering, but it flowered about six foot high right, above the yeah, rest of it. Mine's pretty high. <laughs> so it's probably worth just taking those, those soft back, back um, and just because they're vigorous, they seem to have bigger forms on them for some some reason right. but tip them out and then just level the growth off and you'll but, probably find but do check it's just, it's not from below where the graft is yeah no so also i mean it, at the moment it's like a rose bush but should it be trained more to sort of climb because there seems to be just so such huge no it's not it's not, it's, not it's just really. it's just having a, a bit of strong growth it's not naturally a climb you you, you no. know if it all else fails just take the whole plant down quite low and let it flush up from the base again Okay, right, brilliant. Thank you okay. very much indeed. That's Wendy from Colchester, and now we go to Holly in 
No, we don't. We go to John in Leon C, and then we'll go to Holly in Braintree. Hello, John. We're talking Hello, plums. Hello, Plums. Plums, plums and plums, is it? <laughs> well, I've got to be very careful how I word this because my daughters are listening, so I've got a problem with me plums. <laughs> right, OK. What's happening is I've got loads of them on the tree. Yes. But they're all little tiny round green ones as big as a cherry tomato. Right. And that's it. They're not right. growing anymore. Now, my next question is, did they fruit last year? No. Right. Have you ever had fruit on this tree? Yes. What size plums did you get that year? <laughs> Quite nice round ones, normal size red. Normal size red. All right. So it's actually produced too much fruit. Yeah. We were just wondered there whether you had a green gauge or not. Yes, I was trying to work out what you've got, you see, because you're describing something that's... Definitely plums. It's a plum. It's just too much fruit. It's too much fruit, which some plums... I mean, I've found this with um, mirabelles are abundant. They've got Mm. so much fruit, they've been damaging the trees a lot in some gardens. So, in fact, I think you've just got too much fruit. It's not too late to thin, is it, no, Dave? No, just pick a few bits, you know, a few of them off and reduce it. Plenty of water. I know we're okay. getting some at the moment, but, you know, the plant will only try to swell and develop what it can handle. So oh, if you've right. got loads okay, and loads then. on there, it just sits there sort of a bit like confused, you know, which one first, what's next, and yeah. how do I divide my orders? Yeah. I'd thin out, thin out a few, take a few off, plenty of water, and you might find they'll swell on and become normal plums. Um, and we now go to Holly from Braintree, as I promised. Isn't that right, Holly? Hi there, morning. Morning. What are we up to? Um, not much, actually. I'm getting <laughs> soaking wet. Oh. Marvellous. Um, but I have a, a problem with my plant that I've recently bought. I'm a complete beginner. Um, it's an angel wing plant, and it's covered in green fly. <laughs> and I don't know what to do for it long term. I'm thinking I'm probably going to have to buy another one. It's too far gone. Um, but I don't know what I should change. Um, no, it's just just spray it. Just use a... a Not today because it's raining. No, but... it won't work today. <laughs> but, uh, um, if you give it a good a spray, you'd probably need to do it once um, and then perhaps I'd say do it another sort of seven to ten days, do it again. Um, you'll okay. probably find that... It'll it sort is, itself out, yeah, won't it? it is probably Would you use a contact? Um, probably if they're visible and they're there. You're not, you know, it's just about knocking them down. Um, yeah. And you'll probably find the plant will re you know, regrow, get some vigour back into it um, and be okay. fine. No need to just sort of... The green fly are bringing lots of ants with it. Will they do any damage? No, the ants are bringing the green fly. Uh, they, f- they, they farm green fly for their... The sugary their, their sugar. sap that comes out the back end of them. They're yep. like little sugar factories, aphids, and the ants take them up the plant, put them on the softest bits, and then go and harvest this sort of honeydew that they produce for them. Okay, understood. Okay, so maybe I haven't lost out completely just no, yet. I no, I don't think you have, Holly. You should be fine. Okay, okay that's Holly sorted. Don't don't throw plants away, even though you can go and buy them from a good garden centre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's now go to David in Chelmsford. Hi, David. Hello there. Hi, yeah. I've got two questions. They're quite brief. That's all right. Um, first one is about my aces. I've got two aces in the garden. One's been there about 25 years and really, really happy. It's massive now. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought a new one uh, about two, three years ago. Only a little one. And it, it grew fairly healthily and uh, last year 
as it grew, the tips all got brown and black and it sort of, sort of gradually died back until there was virtually no leaves left, so I took it away. I bought another one uh, in the spring, a bigger one, and I put that in a more shady place, mm-hmm. quite bright, not shady shady, but it's north-facing fence. And what I'm noticing on it is it almost looks like it's getting the same problem. It, I don't know if it's just burned from the sun, but the, the growing tips are really healthy initially, and then they go browny, mottled, and almost black. And it, it looks like it's sort of dying off quicker than the sprouts are growing. It does sound like it. Um, I mean, if they're coming away in the spring and they're normal, that, you know, we haven't got the intensity of sun in the spring, so they're coming out from a dormant winter, bit of, bit of warmth and off they go. And if they're then discolouring, the only thing... Have you checked it for, for pests? Is there any aphids or anything in those tips? I can't see any. I mean, there's a few little spider's webs on there, but they're normally yeah. good because they normally control them. No, yeah. it's it just... It, I wanted to try and do something... Because normally the sun will make them brown and crispy, not but you're saying they're not in black. The, but you're saying they're not in the sun? Well, it's on a north-facing fence, so it does get the sun um, on it sort of in the mornings, and then as it goes through the day, it goes into shade. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a, a good, suitable good place. Good position, but, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's... Oh, well. Is it in a big enough container? Oh, it's in the ground. In the ground. Well, this is in the ground, yeah. and yeah. you're watering it, but not over-watering it. Yeah, giving it water. It's quite a dry bit of ground there. Yeah. So I was just wondering whether you can overwater and it'll brown, won't it? It'll do yeah, the same. Yeah, as normal, it? the reaction can be either end of, of that be. scale, but it's we just might a bit. overwatering a bit, yeah. Yeah, perhaps ease off a little bit on that, but it's just when when people describe tips as going black, that's normally insect it's damage. It is, isn't it? Uh, oh, well, look, then. It's probably in the tips. But again, be careful with the insecticide you use because some can't be used and so it can scorch the leaf. (laughs) And also, some can't be used on laces, can there? There's a couple around on there. Any particularly strong ones, but most, most, Most if you use a contact one, they tend to be better on them. Right, I can't read the bottle well. But have have a good look at the tips because quite often when you get that blacking and you see it on cherries and prunus and things, it's normally because there's aphids or little bugs in there having a go. It might right. be that. The other question was a quick one. I've been redoing some of the pathways and things in my garden, and where I've left some ground clear, I've extended the lawn a bit. I mm-hmm. seeded it, and the seed grew really, really lovely, and it's the healthiest grass I've seen. Um, what I've noticed with this dry weather, the rest of the lawn seems to be... I do feed the rest of the lawn and water it a bit. Um, the rest of the lawn seems to suffer really, really quickly when the dry weather comes. Yeah. But all the new grass I put down is really, really tolerant. That's compaction, isn't it? Yeah, it's just that you've got older ground that's compacted, it's been congested yeah. and exhausted of, I know you're feeding, but it is compaction. You could you could actually liquid feed the the other lawn. I don't know whether you've granular feed or liquid feed. I use granular feed. <laughs> I would, with weather like this, you could try liquid feeding the old established lawn yeah. and that might just bring it up quicker. Right, because I was tempted to sort of replace the whole lawn with this fresh seed in case the seed was just, you know, free. No, you're probably, you're probably fine. It's just seeds, the new grass has got some sort yeah. of vigour built into it because it's new and it's in a nice bit of fresh soil that you've you've opened up. So it's yeah. probably worth considering doing some aeration um, right. in the autumn, just an overseed in the autumn. Yeah, and then oh, yeah, overseed, and then yeah. you're you're open it up again. The liquid feed. I mean, is that all the grass feeds and weeds I've seen are all granular? Is do a liquid feed? 
Is there a lawn specific one or do you just yes, there's, like there's a lawn one that you can use on a hose end feeder that you yeah. put the granules into the if you use a hose you can yeah. just put it in a hose end feeder. I think there is only one, one. that I know of that is a liquid feed is which that is a miracle grow one. Oh yeah, we've got miracle grow, yeah. Yeah, but there's okay, there's then. two miracle there's two of them. One is lawn and it says lawn on the box, which All is right. much higher nitrogen, and then the other one is for general plants. You can use either on lawns, but if you want to green it up, use the lawn one. Okay. Right, okay. Yeah. Thanks very much. We're going to be getting back to your questions in just a little while, but right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, actually, Dave's got some tips for things we can be getting on with in the garden this week. <laughs> yeah, it's raining, so we've got to do something. But um, obviously, we're in a garden centre, and quite often there's there's shall we say misconceptions or beliefs. So when we're selling a plant, or when we have plants in there, and they're in yeah. pots. And obviously the plant looks great in the pot that it's in, but I think people tend to think that that pot and that plant will be fine as it is ongoing. And we need to remember that plants are grown in pots to sell, not for longevity. So you do need to pot them up into much bigger pots. Which the silly thing is, is if we talk about a seedling on our programme, we say, grow in a little pot, then move it up, then move it up, and we keep suggesting you move it up because it needs space to grow. That's it. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean you need loads of space, but you need more space more. than is in, don't you? That's it. And, and especially, it's, it seems to be on expensive plants, so things like bay and standard bays and things, <laughs> things like that. Things they can lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so you've got to protect the plants. You've got to buy it, look at it and go, how long do I want this for? This plant's going to live for a while and at least add half again probably to the pots that they're in um, in size. And then remember that that won't still be forever. <laughs> and when the plants come back or the pictures come back two years later, it's a bit yellow and it's a, and you can see it's still in the pot that it was brought in. Um, it's not We wouldn't do it with children. We wouldn't leave them no. in the same size shoes when they were three, when they're ten. So they do it to plants. Because you do see it. I mean, I've seen roses growing in people's gardens and yeah. they just left by their back door. And I say, well, what's that? Oh, well, it's a lovely rose. And you think, hang on, it's still <laughs> in the, the green upright pot that you know it's been bought in. Yes, yeah. And, and you know, business is business. And nurseries won't grow plants in oversized pots no. for longevity. They just want to produce them so just they can be to offered for sale. It's our responsibility to do more. So what we're really saying is when you buy a plant, look at it and think, is that going to, you know, yeah. if, I, if I buy a container, I want the con- it to stay in that container for two or three years. Yeah. Think about it. And take some advice. I mean, normally a lot of plants are planted into the ground, but it is the more expensive things, the structural things like the standard bays and things like that, that generally end up in pots and they end up in pots that are too small. Think or ask. It is. And use the right compost. Very important. Yeah. Always permanent. Number three, generally, uh, John Innings soil-based compost. I know it saves pennies buying the multi-purpose sort of one, but long-term, use a a decent soil-based compost and add food. Important to add food. So they are. There's uh, a good part start to your your (laughs) tips for this week from, from Dave. Thanks very much. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. We've had a Wickford, shall we talk to Bob? Hey! Hello, Bob. Wickford, that's my hometown, that is. Hey, good. uh, Hello there, can you hear me? We can hear you well and truly. Right, good, I've been waiting. 
very, very interesting what I've heard. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Right. Um, my problem is quite an unusual one. Um, it's because I'm an idiot, um, I do silly things sometimes. And my latest one is I planted some potatoes next to my ivy. I've got this ivy down the bottom of the garden. It's massive. It, um, it's probably about 15 foot high. It grows over an old shed. But I... I I planted these potatoes next to it, you know, about, say, about, uh, in old language, probably about a foot to two foot away. Yeah. Um, and I planted them. The thing is, I didn't realise, and my wife said, hold on a minute, it could be poison ivy. All ivy is poison. My question is, can I eat them? You can eat the potatoes, but I wouldn't eat the ivy. <laughs> no, I won't eat the ivy. No, I'm not that... I'm, Poison oh, no, it's, no it's, it's, it's the plant that has yeah. the toxicity it won't, in it. It won't contaminate it your potatoes. No, it doesn't contaminate the soil and it won't contaminate your potatoes. And effectively, what, what, what we call poison ivy is a different, it's, it's an a individual part, you know, thing. Part it's not all ivy. ivies, yeah. Oh, good, oh, good. I'll just tell you a very quick funny story because this is me. I, um, I had a little vegetable patch, and but before it was a vegetable patch, I used to set fire to things there. And I used to use white spirit, because I haven't got any patience, so I used white spirit to start a fire with. Anyway, that was that. Made a vegetable patch of it. It grew some carrots, and yeah. because I want to show my grandchildren what real um, things are like. Anyway, so I grew these carrots, and um, my late son-in-law was down the bottom with me one day. I said, oh, I've got these carrots. Let's try one. He bit it. And it tasted white spirit. <laughs> yes. Root vegetable. You don't, you don't put, you know, spirits or <laughs> yeah. diesels or anything on your ground because it will contaminate. But that's why they no, say to, to no. always well, peel a carrot. Of, well, that's the kind of person you're speaking to. <laughs> <laughs> and not to be recommended to anybody else no. to light fires with white spirit. Is that right? No. No, no that's quite right. <laughs> okay, no. Bob, but you enjoy your All potatoes. Right. Lovely. Well, actually, I threw that, those away, but I'm going to. I've got some more I can yeah. try. Thanks, don't thanks. don't waste them at all, Bob. And talking <laughs> of potatoes, we had a lovely picture in from uh, Neville from Rain. Now, Neville from Rain says, whilst digging up my first early foremost potatoes, this came in an email. I came across this well camouflaged red legged partridge, which had decided to make a nest right in the middle of the last row. <laughs> I've read the partridge's legs in two clutches, sometimes days apart, in two different nests. The male sits on one clutch of eggs and the female on the other. Looks like the potato harvest will have to be left. And in fact, you can hardly see her, can you, against no, the soil no, and the leaves? The Absolutely incredible. Looks so, like those first earlies might become main crops. <laughs> does indeed. <laughs> But uh, I thought I'd share that one with you. And thank you very much, Neville from Rain, for sharing it with us. It's, it's nice to hear these stories about things that are going on in your garden. Uh, let's now talk tomatoes. <laughs> Sheila, Sheila in Eastwood. Sheila, talking. we're on tomatoes, are we? Sheila? I've got, yeah, I've got a new tomato, and it's called Indigo Blueberry, mm. because it's my name. Anyway... <laughs> They've really grown well. Um, they're just a little bit smaller than a um, cherry tomato. But I cut one in half the other day because I wasn't sure if they were ready. Yeah. And it's green, and I don't know if they're <laughs> ready to eat yet. <laughs> um, when they're really dark, so you've got to just allow for the fact of, of like, a red tomato goes red, doesn't it? And the redder it is, the yeah. riper it is. So yeah. I think you'll find generally, though, it is the outer skin that is the colour. Um, and yeah, inside no, will be no, green. Yeah, will be green. Know, yeah. Oh, it will be green. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're lovely, beautiful mauve colour outside. Yeah. 
and I didn't know how big they grew because I've never grown them before. Um, but when I cut it and it was green, and the neighbour said, well, try it. And I said, yeah, but I might poison myself. <laughs> no, you can't poison yourself with an unripe tomato. No. It would just be unpleasant to eat. <laughs> oh, it's it's like right. a green tomato. When you grow green yeah. tomatoes, there's a green, there's striped, there's all sorts of different yeah, tomatoes. Yeah, you expect it to be green. <laughs> yeah. No, I know, but you can't tell when they're ripe. That's what I'm getting at, because yeah. they're green. Oh, yeah. you, we all think Just, of redness. They normally ripen on the thing on the the branch from the top down. So, right. If you work your way down that vine as you're picking them, um, yeah. But just try it. Pop it in. If it tastes sweet, it's ready, and then you'll know that shade of purple is <laughs> about right. ready. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And just one really, really quick one. I've got a lovely rose. Don't ask me what it's called. I haven't got a clue. Um, but it's grown really well this year. It's grown so well. It's covering everything else. When it dies back, can I trim it back? Can I dig it up and put it somewhere else? How long has it been there? Oh, a couple of years. We had it in a pot, yeah. and then we put it in the garden. And since we put yep. it in the garden, it's, it's took loved off. it. Yeah. Yep. You can if you if just keep as much as you can of, of you'll probably have the pot root ball that was there originally and um, prune it hard yeah. back but wait until the yeah. autumn if you can brilliant okay thanks ever so much for your help love and the program and if you want more help in the autumn on planting a rose just give us a call and we will let you know they are that number to call talking of calling is 0800 111 ken crowler with the gardening phone in here on bbc essex every saturday morning from 11 and we're available on fm dab medium wave and even on the bbc sounds app which you can take with you wherever you go let's now go talking we've done tomatoes so we better talk about black spot on roses with howard from burnham good morning ken yes Um, we've lived here for uh, quite a few years about 40 (laughs) and i've got various roses some of which are quite old but then a year or two back i went over to a well-known growers beginning with c and got some other beautiful ones and they all smell gorgeous but i have a problem with black spots so three-part question is there anything I could add to the soil? Does it show a deficiency that I've got black spot? The there, second a, part, is it likely to spread to me new roses? And the third one is how do I get rid of it? Right, well, let's start at the beginning because it's like like all of us. Yeah. A well-fed person is less likely to get ill. Right. So you start off, and I think, don't you think people forget? You, you must yeah. find that, Dave, that people buy plants and they say to you, look, it's gone all sickly. And you think, yeah. well, hang on, have you fed it? Have you looked after it? So feeding is really important, isn't it, Dave? Obviously, the, the more vigorous the plant is growing and the more vigour it has, the more health there is there, the less likely it will become susceptible to um, black spot and mildew and so on. Often roses will get it. Some varieties are more prone to it than others. Um, and the older varieties particularly are, are really quite prone to it so it, it's a it's a bit of a factor life that we get colds the roses get black spot but you can sort of prevent it but it's it's really you've got to start early in the season february march <laughs> yeah keeping it off the plants in the first place once it's there it's very hard to get rid of until the leaves fall and you can clean and clear the ground it can hang around it doesn't necessarily go into the ground but it'll hang on leaf litter that's protected in the ground so clean clear give them loads of food um, plenty of water no stress and you'll find that they will be more resilient to it but not really good 
Now, I'm going to just jump back on the feed. It's worth giving a good rose food yeah. in spring as soon as the leaf starts to emerge. And then it needs at least one other feed through the season, doesn't it? With a good rose food. Yeah, it's so worth it's using a rose long. food. I mean, rose foods are, are longer lasting, so they're not like an instant, instant perk. Now, the second question was... Can, what was it? The second question was how? Well, Will let's spread. Do, how can you how can you stop it spreading? Well, you can't, can no. you? Other than what you've described, is yeah. that right, Dave? So I think we have probably covered all three in one there. And new varieties are better. How about that, Howard? Yes, uh, I have been feeding it, uh, but I used to use top rows, but then I didn't seem to be able to get that. I think that might have gone off the market. So I've used something called Q4, which I get from our local allotment society. Yeah. Is it better then to use? something else that's specific for roses well it is, I, it is if you can uh, but if i used a uh, liquid feed because i've got various ones that i use you, you probably you'll probably uh, find you can get what's called a row you know tree a rose and shrub feed which is a pelleted round like osmoco is um and that's a good long lasting one but q4 is a good it's a good feed, feed um so you're probably not far wrong there it's um, just got some extra additives in the rose feeds that aren't in, mm. particularly Q4, as an example. Yeah. Okay, so you're not I'll, doing you're doing right, but you could just help it a bit more. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for your help. That's a pleasure. And there's our man from Burnham, Howard. And we now go. Just a reminder: 0800 111 4041. And we well, where should we go? We'll go up to Chris in Braintree. Hi, Chris. Hello there, how are you? I'm right, thank you. Good. Um, now, uh, as an armchair gardener, because I live in a flat... Oh, um, you're, the, you're our armchair gardener, are you? Yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't received one today. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I've just not been out. I think one up, I think it's the heat that's done it. Oh, it's, yeah. It's done, yeah, it's, it's shriveled all my, your um, fruit. It's shriveled the fruits, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, well, my chocolate orange is totally decimated. You know, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> and it's, but being serious... Um, as an armchair gardener, I've been listening to your programme for quite a little while now, and um, I'm just finding it fascinating. I was wondering, have you published a book or any books that I could read in my armchair? <laughs> no, the only, the only two books that have ever been published of my own are actually novels. Yeah. They're, they're not... And they're not necessarily textbooks. I heard that was a little bit risque in, in, in <laughs> Only a little bit. Uh, yes. Yeah, we've done... I did Jack the Gardener and then uh, Two Weeks in Nice. They were the two books that I've had published. I've got, oh, well, I've got a YouTube oh, well. channel you can book, get yourself bored on if you want to watch me grow dahlias, but... <laughs> so he's written one on dahlias. He said yeah. that's interesting. No? <laughs> Helps you sleep. If you struggle sleeping, watch me grow dahlias. That'll help. Oh, I could have done with that in this hot weather. Um, <laughs> so, so, any books you would recommend then? Um, I there's so many. There there's is too so ma many. Too many. The ones that are used for encyclopedia, but there's quite a few project-based gardening books out there where people have done, you know, more about their stately home gardens and the yeah. hist history of them. They're probably more of an interesting a, read. And there's a lovely one about Essex gardens that I can't remember who it's published by. Mm. Do you know what I would do? I'd go to a charity shop. Never dig about. And have a dig about because there are so many gardening books in charity shops. Chris, ah, that's where I that. would go. And they're cheap. You're helping a charity. And loads of people offload gardening books into those shops. Splendid idea. OK, Splendid. Chris. Thank you very much. We haven't forgotten your calls, texts and emails, which we'll get back to in just a little while. But uh, let's see what else Dave has got for us this week. 
Well, we're back to the same theme. So it's it's a knowledge base that's out there, perhaps, and, and we get the same questions time and time again. Um, sprays and bugs. So we, we often get someone will say, oh, I've got this bug, a bug, don't know what it is, and it's on my hydrangea. Want to spray for it. So you, you suggest a spray. Then they're saying, I've first got this bug on a Hebe. And they think they need a different spray for it. And generally, most sprays in insecticides and fungicides, it doesn't matter whether the, the mildew is on a rose or a honeysuckle. Rose clear, just because it says rose clear, can be used on other plants. And you don't need this sort of galley of, of multiple different insecticides and bug killers to treat different bugs on different plants. Only variants would be if it's food that you're going to eat. That's quite important to look at, isn't yeah. it? So in reality, you need two bug killers, one that's long-term and one that's contact. So the ones that say eat next day are contact killers, and you can use those on things that you're going to eat in the near future. Beyond that, the other one, which generally is better because it has some sort of systemic action in there that will stay in the plant and that means on the rest and that means systemic means it as you said it stays in the plant but not only does it stay in the plant particularly for say a caterpillar yeah. that's a good interesting example caterpillar will eat the leaf and yeah. therefore the insecticide's in the leaf isn't yeah. it and, and therefore it will take it, it out so you're not just knocking out what's there at the moment in time which is what a contact yeah. killer will do you'll kill them and another one just flies in or crawls in and it's not going to help now while we're talking sprays um however you shouldn't just spray for the sake of spraying. Should no. you, you don't think to yourself, oh, it might get caterpillar, <laughs> yeah. I'll therefore spray it. Because no. we, we want to encourage pollinators. We don't want to just spray for the sake of killing, do It's we? about control. So, so you've got to inspect your plants, take your cup of coffee out in the morning and have a stroll around the garden and just look at the tips because normally it's, it's the growing tips that will show first signs. And just look at your plants. Watering the plants is a good way of looking at them. While you've got the hose there, have a look, see if it's got any spots, see if there's any bugs, and then act accordingly. Act quick, but don't do it for the sake of doing it. Okay, so we've looked after the plants with the sprays. Yeah, and the, they're um, not getting eaten. <laughs> not getting eaten. So what else have we got to do with them? Feeding them. Ah, oh, feeding, yeah. So again, you know, I need a feed for this shrub, a feed for that shrub. Generally, you, you can don't. put everything in one pot and go, does it like acid? So is it That's a rhodi, a camellia, azalea, blueberry, and so, so on. And then there's the rest in the other pot, and you can keep them that way. And the only variance I would say for shrubs and, and permanent plants, I tend to prefer a granular food. So Which you could just put, put on the in, top of the pot. And in fact, you should have been doing that through the year, yeah. really, shouldn't People you, with tend the to feed when the plant looks hungry, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> rather than feed. And that is something that you can do as a matter of routine not like the spraying it's spring give them a feed most feeds will last granular feeds will last four to six weeks but they also take about two weeks to start breaking down and being available so i tend to once a once a month have a dust round with a bloodfish and bone or grow more on any permanent plants things like bedding plants that are they're hungry shorter lived yeah they need they need the 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 red ball which i i tend to think is like the the sort of liquid feeds that are high impact, short lasting, but will fluff them up. Now we've got 
Therefore, you've got baskets, containers and yeah. beds. And, in fact, you can get these feeders that just fit on the ends of the hoses, can't you? Hose, hose end feeder? Hose end feeders. And they, they basically take the concentration and dilute it for you so you're not spooning it into the so can. So just click it on the hose. Yeah, and if it's easy, it's got to be better, isn't it? Because we're all lazy in, in our own, yeah. <laughs> own world. So if we can do something easier... You're going to do it more, and the plants will benefit. And there's two types of those, isn't there? Because there's one with a bottle that you just... Have a liquid, li- has a concentrate liquid, yeah. Which you just screw into the container. Yeah. There's another one, isn't there, that you can put powder you in? You can put the powder. The standard one is the powder one, um, because you can then also use the lawn powder in there, for, which is a, a much higher nitrogen feed. You wouldn't necessarily use that on your on your bedding plants, right. but for the lawns, it will lush it up um, lovely. And you can also even put some of the liquids in there if you want to add a bit extra. Now, the other thing about these, we're talking about these feeders, which is an easy way of doing it, you've got to be careful because you wouldn't do it in the middle of the day. You're going no. to do it morning or evening, really. But specifically, I mean, we've looked at a very hot week. You've got to yeah. be very careful that you don't do it during the heat of the day. Well, and quite often, certainly with the one that runs on a powder, because it's diluting, it is, comes through quite quickly when you first operate it. Yeah. So just point it at the roots, not at the plant, when you first turn it on. Because I've done it with my dahlias, the last bit in the watering can that's got the feed in it, hits the leaf, leaves it there, and you go back the next day and, and the burnt. leaf's burnt. So it's just be aware that the first flush through quite often is a bit stronger. So put it on an established plant, add a bit more water, as you know, stand there for a bit longer, and then move through the garden, and it should be consistent. And last but not least on water, uh, on feeding, we mustn't forget that in a dry time yeah. we're watering more and therefore washing the feed out faster aren't we exactly so that's where we then can probably go back to that bit of dry feed the base what we call base feeds at the bottom then every time we're watering it's going to dissolve a bit and add a bit of feed and the plants rather have little and often with feeds rather than big belts and nothing Let's look at some of those events around the county that are on. And, uh, in fact, we start with Barnard's Farm, Brentwood Road, West Horndon. Great garden to go and have a look at. It's under the NGS scheme. Uh, you can climb the Belvedere for the wider view or take the train through the woodlands. Spring bulbs and blossoms, summer beds and borders look absolutely fantastic. Every Thursday... Um, from the 1st of August to the 29th of August, £7.50, children are free. And yes, there's a bit of light refreshment. That's uh, West Horndon, Brentwood, CM13. Uh, Dragons is on the 16th of August. Bit of advance notice there for you. Um, just look out for that one. I'll give you a bit more notice about that one as well. Um, as is Chignall Road, 18 Court. Yes, have a look at that one as well. Um, that's, uh, of course, well known for her RHS gold winning exhibitors of her clematis. Yes, Sheila Chapman. So I'll tell you more about that a bit later on. Um, so there's plenty going on there. And just a reminder, Mark's Hall, well worth going. Gardens and Arboretum up at Coggeshall. Brown Signs, CO6 on TG. Beautiful Heritage Garden. Um, it's got the largest collection of Woolamy pines in Europe and a lovely mix of ag- white agapanthus around the eucalypts. It looks absolutely superb. 
Families will love Hyde Hall as there's the giant caterpillar to celebrate 50 years since The Very Hungry Caterpillar was written. I didn't realise it was 50 years ago either. It's all in a willow sculpture and there's 3D of the apples and pears that, of course, that naughty caterpillar eats. That's in Green Hedge Lane, Rettenden, CM38RA. Well worth going along there, isn't it? Because, let's face it, it's... It's somewhere to go with your kids, somewhere to enjoy. Great meals as well in the in the uh, restaurants there. 31st to 4th of August, the RHS Gardens at High Hall Flower Show. Yes, it's the 10th anniversary. Ken Crowther and the team were there for the first couple and then we got slid out. But anyway, we were there early on. But go to the Hyde Hall Flower Show. It's a great show. Lots to buy, lots to see as well. Uh, just an advance warning as well, Meadowcroft Garden Centre, they are having their first food and drink festival. £3 a ticket, under 12s, absolutely free. Beers, wines, gins, not for the under 12s, that is, of course. Children's crafts and live music. They're using a new area at Meadowcroft. So go along and see our friends at Meadowcroft and tell them that you got sent by Ken Crowther. There are, there's some events around the county. Don't forget, you can let us know when those events are are on and we will get more people along to your event so they are why not send them along to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or pop them in the post to ken crowther p.o box 765 chumpsford cm2 9xb and we like them two weeks in advance how can we help you yvonne Hello, yeah, hello, gentlemen. Um, yeah, I've got two, um, they're about two and a half, three foot high um, bay trees in containers outside the front door. Um, and I brought them because they've got the twisted trunks, you know, that yeah, they're. Um, lovely, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, but the trouble is, I'm getting lots of shoots growing through the bottom, up mm-hmm. through, uh, through the soil in the bottom. And a lot of the shoots growing down, so I'm losing all the twisted trunks. Yeah. If you see what I'm. What, how do I, what do I do to get the twisted trunk back? I don't care if it doesn't go any twisted any higher, but I'd like to see a bit no. more of the trunk. Well, the, the, the trunk won't grow as far, it'll thicken up in the end, they sort of mould into a, a, a bit of a lump. But what yeah. bays do is sucker, and as they are as a standard, they sucker up from the pot. So the only thing you can do is. In theory, we say to tear a sucker, but you can't do that in pot. So right. the only thing you can do is get your secateurs and prune them as hard down towards the soil right. level as you can and just remove them. And then you can prune anything off the stem as well and you should get them back oh, to right. being a standard. Well, and do I have to do that at a certain time of year? Or no, because you're getting rid all, of them. So all the time. All the time, because you'll find that they'll regrow right. again. So just keep going at them with your snips and snip them off. And we go to Sheila from Church Langley. Hello, Sheila. Oh, hello. Hello. I want to repot my two questions actually. I want to repot my hydrangea. So, what type of soil should I buy? <laughs> Blue or pink hydrangeas? Uh, very deep, uh, almost red. Right. So. A normal compost. So, uh, John Innes number three probably would be my suggestion. If they were blue, okay. you'd use the aracaceous John Innes. Okay. And the other thing at Patchy Lawn, any any ideas for it? Any um, lawn feed? This time of year, something like a, a lawn thickener is good because it's a granular feed and a seed. So you'll overseed and feed what's there. So you'll add a bit feed. more. Yeah. So okay. lawn thickener is what you're after, not the, not a patch thing necessarily which is just coir and seed. Use it as feed and seed. 
Okay. And, and repotting the hydrangea, should, how big a pot should I put it in? What <laughs> size is it in now? It's about uh, under two feet at the moment. Just go, if you can add six inches onto yeah. it, then onto okay. what you've got, then that's good. Oh, lovely. More the merrier. Okay. Lovely. Thank you so much. That's Thank a, you. That's a pleasure. And we are now going, where are we going? Michael in Woodford Green. Hello, Michael. Hello there, gentlemen. I have a crab tree. Mm-hmm. Apple tree, sorry. Which crab I've apple, yep. As, as small yellow fruit. Mm-hmm. About two years ago, I noticed what looked like white fluff on one or two of the branches. But yeah. this year, it's much more extensive. The tree seems to be suffering as leaves are going brown and falling off. Mm-hmm. What is this fluff and what can I do to treat it? Woolly aphid? It would be woolly aphid or, yeah. or scale, maybe. Or scale. Because can fluff up you know, on the stem. Um, so yeah, just give it a, a spray. You're not going to eat it. It's a crab apple, so use a good systemic spray um, and give it give it a go. Um, you probably have to do it a couple of times, but I would say the leaves falling off is probably a, a little weather bit related. Is weather? It? It's just hot and dry. I just it's on the um, the larger branches, so I can probably reach quite a few of it. Um, yeah. Is this spray something dissolved in water that I can mix you, up? You, you can buy it as a concentrate or ready to use. So you can mix it up and, and apply it, which is obviously much cheaper that way if you can do that. Um, or if you if you don't want to miss a belt or haven't got a sprayer, then you can get a, a ready-to-use one. But make sure it's systemic. So it will say on the bottle lasts for two to three weeks or something like that rather than eat the fruit the next day. There you go. Thank you very much. That's a pleasure. That's Michael from Wolford Green. A lot of woolly oafers about. They like dry weather, don't they? Yeah. So, in fact, yeah. they've been... Um, having a good uh, time. Having, <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> so, let's talk uh, to... Is it Al from Stowmarket? Yeah, hello, Ken. Hi, what are we going to talk about today, then? Well, radical new idea I've got. Uh, I've got a front garden, side garden and back garden, two uh-huh. large... For me to manage now, I'm in my 70s. Yep. So I had a wonderful idea sponsored by Monty with his wildflower meadow on <laughs> Gardens World saying that uh, we need wildflower meadows. So I thought I'd change my side garden uh, into a wildflower meadow. Now I've got the reputable seeds that says sow them August to September. Yeah. But I've also got shrubs, you know, buddhia, hollies, forsythia, everything in the side garden. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't move them in August without killing them. So is there any way to save some of those shrubs? I would leave them be. I mean... So I don't plant around them. Just to sow around them. Just leave them where they are, because I mean, buddleia, holly, those are good attracting plants, and you know the the meadow will, the wildflowers will sort themselves out. They might not grow directly underneath the buddleia, but they grow around it, and it's just going to add a bit of depth to 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 the meadow. Right, so around great stuff, lads. Also, second question I was going to ask is that um, to get the soil ready for the seeds. Mm. I'm forever, every three days, I'm out there weeding. Yeah. Um, would you glyphosate the weeds and then uh, to help get the soil ready? It's probably best to, if you can get the soil to a till. Clean. And then just, just spray it a couple of times, we'll probably do it. 
and it will not you don't want to start with with weeds i mean you're, you're effectively you're sowing weeds they just happen to flower and look nice um but you don't want to start with weeds things that you don't want um don't don't feed the ground and don't add nutrient because you'll end up having grass growing rampantly and it'll smother the smother the wildflowers all right then now all right so i'll glyphosate so if it blows onto these shrubs and everything it's a chance i'll take get no, bit, keep it yourself a bit, get keep. yourself a bit of cardboard you know yeah. an old cardboard box open it up and then you can just shield any shrubs it that you're spraying yeah. near um, and once it's down it's down that's sorted out now from Stowe Market and on just that how do I get rid of grape hyacinth some K rang from Harlow with a message and I mentioned it there because you talked about glyphosate yeah, didn't it's you? the only way you'll do it or dig them up and send them around to, to our last corner and then go in his wildflower garden they could indeed <laughs> so they are there's uh, food for thought but if not that's the way to go uh, let's now go to down to Clacton, sunny Clacton as it was the other day, not today. What plant have you got for us, Barry? Or is it Ooh. Harry? That's no, Harry. Oh, sorry, Harry, couldn't quite read it. That's all right. Yeah, um, it's still raining up here, but uh, it's not too hot. Uh, my problems, I've got a standards, I don't know how you pronounce it, hibiscus. Hibiscus, yep. hibiscus, yeah. yeah. But um, I bought it early this year. It flowered, had a couple of buds on it. And when that died off, I re sort of put it in a bigger pot. And over the last few weeks, that site had buds, it's one or two buds opened up. Yeah. But then the leaves, over the, over the last couple of three weeks, the leaves have been turning yellow and they've just been falling off and curling and just curling over. I'm just wondering what. It might what be, I do. It, I, you know, I go water it when it's necessary. Yeah, is it a big flower? When it flowered, uh, it's a red, red it's a, flower. It's a red flower. Right. So it's not. It's probably not the shrubby. Uh, what we'd call or I call a, a, a hard, hardy shrubby hibiscus. It's probably more of a patio plant. Um, if it's particularly if you've got it as a, a standard. Um, a bit yeah. more like house plants, so be careful with it in the winter because I guess it might not be that hardy. Um, but yeah, they just don't generally like moving. Do they? You know, you pot them up sometimes, you disturb them. It can make them lose a few leaves, and they're not, you know, the hot, dry weather and changeable weather like we've been having may make them drop a few leaves. So I wouldn't worry. No. Just let it settle, settle down. Just but just down, keep an eye on it in the winter because it probably won't get through it unless you protect it. Yeah, because um, when we've been out in the hot weather, the missus keeps saying to me, water your plants, water your plants, yeah. which I do. I mean, that's fair enough. But sometimes you don't know whether you're getting them too much water or, or not enough water. Yeah, you just got to look at the soil, put your finger on it, in it, or, and feel the weight of the pot if it's in a pot. Um, but sometimes when it's really hot, although the ground are dry up, plants don't drink so much because they just stop growing because they just protect themselves so you can overdo it sometimes nip nip over to margaret from wisley hello no, margaret hi i've got two solutions okay let's hear them uh, well i've got a really good one for raised beds for slugs yeah, yeah. right um if you've got a raised bed do you know the, the the square plastic gutterings that you can get it has to be square yep mm -hmm. so if you screw that onto the side so that you've got to let a, let a gutter round the outside. Yeah, yeah. okay. 
and put a dishwasher salt in it. Yeah. And that yeah. kills the slugs and the cl- and the snails when they climb up and they go in. The only way they can get into the raised bed is they've got to go through the salt. Right. Okay. And that kills them. Okay, we we possibly possible. couldn't we possibly couldn't recommend that because salt is not a uh, it's not it's not cleared to use for slugs, but it's a good idea. What's your second one? For black for, for anything to do with roses, any problems with roses? A ninety-six year old gentleman gardener told me this mm-hmm. about twenty years ago. So he's sort of like if he was alive, he'd be one hundred and thirty odd now. Uh, Banana skins or overripe bananas, mulch them into the base of the plant, or the base of roses. Yeah. And if uh, you mulch banana or banana skins into the base around the, ro- the roots at the bottom, that feeds them. The, I don't know whether it's the potassium in the bananas or what it is in bananas. It does work, yeah. Feeds, feeds the roses. And, and, the, and, and I've never had any black spot or anything wrong with any of my roses ever since I did that. That well, probably goes back to what we said earlier, isn't it? If the plant is fed and happy, then they're more or less resistant or more resistant to it. But you could just compost them and then put it, it round. But and, Mar- and it says landfill if you put banana skins around your roses. That's it. Yeah, Margaret, thank you very much for those tips because that's what this program is all about: is passing on information uh, that our listeners are telling us. Um, I have a number of Oriental lizards which I've had for several years in pots. They appear to have reverted to plain cream this year. Is it likely to be permanent? What do you reckon? I think they've probably just been a bit sun-bleached because um, they wouldn't naturally change colour. Thank you for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call? Yes, 11 o'clock every Saturday here on BBC Essex. And that number to call next Saturday is 0800 111 4041 and be part of the programme.